In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Good News for the City, the broadcast ministry partnership between One Heart DC and WAVA Radio. My name is Brian Bales. I have the privilege to be the host for the show right here on the weekends on the radio, also on the podcast at goodnewsforthecity.com. And if you ever want to happen to see me in person, you can always visit me on a weekend at Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia, where I have the privilege of being the lead pastor. And today, we're going to go back and have a discussion with our good friend, Dr. Bobby Manning. Longtime listeners of the show know that Bobby uh, is part of One Heart DC, is one of the board, but also as a lead pastor, he's uniquely qualified to talk about some of the challenges and what it looks like today to be people leading inside of a unique time in history. Uh, You might remember from back in July, we had him on the show, and we talked about a book that he's written, Gentigration. Connecting Leaders Across Generations, wherein he explores the differences between the five living generations and how they become the people they do to the, due to the experiences, events, and cultural phenomena that occurred during their formative years. It's a great opportunity, but it's also a great challenge when it comes to lead. So in part one, we dove deep into understanding this unique time and observed those five distinct generations. I do encourage you to go to the website, goodnewsforthecity.com, again, listen to the podcast and It was a great conversation that we had. And in that, we realized that God brings each generation unique characteristics, and they bring those characteristics into the church. And how we understand them helps us navigate our interactions better to assure that relationships that we have with each other are good and godly and fruitful. In fact, God is the God of the generations. As he said uh, way back in the Bible in Genesis, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, And in each case, the current generation built upon the foundation of the other, which brings us to today. Uh, We had such a great conversation. There's so many places that I wanted to go and Bobby wanted to go. We thought it was important to bring him back to look like practically what this looks like. So today, what we're going to do is apply our understanding of these generations to what leaders in the church or any context must know and apply to align and motivate people for success. And this may not be just in a church. We live in families, right? And there's at least two generations in every family. And in many generations, multifamilies, there's more than that. And so what would it look like to lead and to love each other well and to interact in our own families in a way that's more glorifying to God? You see, God has called each generation a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious or marvelous light. And so we need each other to complete the work that God has called our families, the corporate body, to fulfill. So, Bobby? Thanks for being back on the show with us. Thanks for having me. Right. Well, you know, hey, I'll give the quick bio for those that don't remember that you're a nationally recognized speaker, author. And of course, as I said already, the senior pastor of the Heights Church. There's so many things I could talk about. But one of the things that I know that you are most proud of is your relationship with your wife. And I always mispronounce her name and put the wrong emphasis on. I think it's Lavera. 
It it's the right beer, yes. All right. I nailed it after about 37 times probably <laughs> messing it up over the years. Uh, but you currently reside in the Washington, D.C. DC area with her, of course, and your three sons, Levi, Reuben, and Joseph. And what's unique about our conversation is that God has called you in your primary ministry to serve at the Heights, a 70-year-old church in District Heights, Maryland, which is committed to connecting with communities and to cultivate strong Christians. Of course, you can do other things as well, work with the Collective Empowerment Group, a 26-year-old nonprofit organization that leverages collective strength of local church leaders, business leaders, and even banking leaders for the economic empower of the DMV community. I say all this because what we're going to talk about today, you're not talking about in theory, you're talking about you've lived this, right? Absolutely. Yes. I'm usually the guy that uh, gets to come in and um, and, and connect generations, Mm -hmm. whether it's being a young adult pastor at my previous church, First Baptist Church of Glenarden is the church I grew up in. um, Or when I became the pastor um, of First Baptist Church of District Heights, when I came in, I made the joke that I was the youngest adult member (laughs) at the time Mm -hmm. when I became the pastor. It wasn't exactly true, but it was funny enough to say (laughs) Um, no those are I was I was I was quite young I was 28 years old um, when I became the pastor at the heights and most of the um, adult members were old enough to be my parents or my grandparents and what the Lord has led me to do and allowed me to do um, is connect those generations to preserve um, the history the traditions um, that the church had but also pull them into the future to raise up young leaders Mm -hmm. in order to go along with and partner with um, the established established leaders there um, at the church and to bring fresh vision um, into an organization that was already uh, effective and could just go um, even further. Uh, The same is true with the Collective Empowerment Group. I'm the youngest uh, uh, president in the history of the organization and um, just it it needed some, as they they told me when I became the president, we need some fresh blood. Um, And normally what that means is that uh, there needs to be a connection of Across generations, and mm-hmm. hopefully that has been the case. I think it's been the case in um, in, in multiple leadership roles for me, and what really um, pushed me to write the book. Yeah, now I'm not trying to throw your age out there for those listeners that we have that can do the math, but <laughs> you're not writing a book after okay, I've had two years of experience sure. in this because lots of times, you know, we feel like we know a lot more a lot quicker than we really, really do. How long have you served at the Heights? Sure. Yeah, I've, I've been privileged to be the pastor at the Heights for 12 years and, and right. served in ministry uh, before that, uh, 10 years on the other side of that. And so um, it's it's been a, a great journey and, and God has been really good. So you're now reaching that age where you're not necessarily always looked at as the younger guy. <laughs> and then there's younger guys looking at you like the old guy, which is a really interesting stage that we enter in our 40s and 50s. Oh, uh, man, I, I don't know sure. what to do with it, Brian. It's been tough. <laughs> I used to be the young hip preacher and I don't, mm-hmm. I'll, now I use words like hip. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's usually a cue that we're not young and hip anymore when we think the word hip is still in. No, I, right. that's a great point. And I know some of our listeners are kind of joking and laughing at us because they're like, oh, you really don't know what age is. But it's hitting on this tension that as a leader, um, I think anyone, whether it's in their family or certainly in a church or a parachurch organization, there's this tension when we're called into an established organization wherein we know that we have to honor the past, yet uniquely we've been brought in, in some ways, to lead into the future. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate, let's talk about the tension of how does someone honor 
the foundation because people have laid a, a great foundation, uh, but also realize that there's a reason that you're there to bring yeah. and make some movement. I think it begins with understanding the past, understanding the foundation that has been built. Whenever you go into a project, you're either going to build on the foundation that's there or you're going to rip it up and pour new cement. Um, My argument is that if the foundation is strong, um, and the only way to find out if the foundation is strong is that you learn it. You honor it enough by learning it, by taking Mm -hmm. the time to ask the questions, taking the time to find the core values that were already there. And so when I got to the Heights, um, one of the first things I did was like, hey, tell me what you love about your church. Tell me what's the best part of this church. I, I it during the interview process because I wanted to know that those things aligned with the things that I loved about church. And so uh, when when we're doing that, we're honoring the foundation enough to understand the foundation. And then once you uh, get to that point, what you can find is that there are intersections. There's there is always overlap between the foundation that's there and the place you want to go. Um, mm-hmm. There's there'll be some differences surely, and and we'll adjust to those differences. Um, but if if we're going to honor the past, the first thing that you do um, is you learn the past, you learn the foundation, and you learn the people because they have values. And I make the argument in the book uh, that church arguments aren't about what we're arguing about. Mm-hmm. It's about the value underneath it. And so we think that we're arguing about drums in the sanctuary or color of carpet or color of paint or pews versus uh, chairs. But that's not really what we're arguing about. There's a value behind that, um, that someone is holding on to. And each generation has different core values based on their upbringing and experience. And if we get past the argument to the value, what we can find is there's actually an intersection. There's actually a um, a meeting uh, of values where we can move forward if we build on those core values and if we agree on what yeah. those values are. Well, I think you made an interesting point that many times the issue presenting isn't the real issue any more than the symptom you're dealing with isn't actually the illness to use a negative example of that. Mm -hmm. And many times we focus more on the presenting issue. If we focus more on the symptom instead of what's behind it, we can be well-intentioned, but not as effective. And so exactly, I had a mentor one time tell me that, listen, the message, the truth of the gospel, it never changes. The mechanism wherein we deliver it is what we're looking at. The value Uh of the gospel changes that. So how does someone say, for example, who gets into that scenario, whether it has to be in a nonprofit organization, has to be in a church organization, whether it happens to be even in their own family, gets down to, okay, this is the core value. This is what's going on behind. How can realizing that, that most of the time, I'm assuming, certainly when you're brought in Empowerment Collective, when you were brought into the Heights 12 years ago, there's this intellectual assent to that we need to do some things different to move into the future. But it's one thing to assent to something. It's a whole other thing to get out of our comfort zone and do it. Sure. So how do you move people um, away from some ways that things have been done without seeming dismissive of the past? Yeah. Also recognizing that those ways connected in the past, but as you move into the future, they may not be the most effective way to do it. 
Brian, here's the way I try to communicate it. And sometimes I'm successful. <laughs> um, uh, what we like to say is we do the, we do different things for the same reasons. Uh, there's, uh, there's a reason why the, the church 50 years ago bought those pews. There's mm-hmm. a reason why they installed that stained glass. Um, yeah. There's a reason why they, um, they put this program into place. And so what we're, what we're doing, hopefully, is we're finding the reason that they did that. What was the core value that pushed them to do that? What were, who were the, um, the major players that helped to make that happen? And then what we do, first of all, is that we honor those people. We find a way to honor those people and to celebrate that. But then we say, you know what? Uh, we're doing these chairs for the same reason that they did those yeah. people. Because we want to create a comfortable, uh, honoring environment for everybody who comes into our church facility. That that's just one example of a conversation um, that I had to have as the leader mm-hmm. at the Heights when we pulled the pews out and we put uh, chairs in, and um, and they and and people in in in, in African American church traditions. I know we're not the only ones. Uh, when when pews were put in years decades ago, there's little gold placards. Yeah. On that's my pew. I paid pew. for that pew, right? Yeah, and and so somebody sat in that pew because their mama paid for that pew, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and they sacrificed or whatever the case may be. And so uh, and so we go back and we find that value. The, again, the argument is not about the pew. The argument right. is about the contribution that the the previous generation put in. And if you toss it in the trash, you're tossing that you you tossing my mama in the trash. Well, sure. Yeah. No. There's something communicated the there. That you're Absolutely. actually not trying to communicate, finding the common value. Now, Absolutely. I had someone tell me once, and I believe it's so true, wisdom is learned at the feet of our mistakes. Mm-hmm. Better wisdom is learned at the feet of someone else's mistakes. <laughs> exactly. So you've been gracious enough to come on to Good News with the City and talk to our listeners. Could you just maybe just a quick anecdote of maybe where you learned what not to do and oh, how you've now adapted and used that mistake to, to do something different? Oh, absolutely. And, and, I, and it's a story that is close to my heart um, because it was one of the first really, really bad mistakes I made um, in leadership at the Heights where there was a ministry that wasn't functioning the way I had put in my mind to function. It was a longstanding ministry of our church. Um, and it wasn't functioning in the in a manner that, in my opinion, fet, met with the vision that the Lord had given me me. Um, and so on one dark Thursday night, this meet, this ministry was meeting and I came in and called myself casting vision. And really what I was really doing, um, was, um, was discrediting and, um, and, and down, uh, downgrading what they, mm-hmm. um, were doing. And, um, and it, and it went across like a ton of bricks, man. It was, you know, it was terrible, Brian. <laughs> Bobby, thanks for being vulnerable in that way. Cause I think any of us in leadership have had those moments intentionally or unintentionally, as you were telling the story, I was reminded of like when I first got to Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn about 10 years ago, and I met with a group of people and um, they handed me a sheet of paper. And my response to the sheet of paper had nothing to do with them. I'd mm-hmm. moved from the Northeast Ohio area back to the type A Washington, D.C. metro area. And these were volunteers that gave me an org chart mm-hmm. for their ministry. They're volunteers and they handed me an org chart. And I laughed, not mm-hmm. because I thought it was bad. But because it just, I forgot that now I'm in a place that that's how they do things. I was learning. But what I didn't realize until months later is they thought I was being dismissive of the work that they were doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are times that even well-intentioned, like you example, whatever, that we as leaders 
that are new and whether we're young or whether we're not young, step into a scenario. And so taking those moments and learning. So really, I just appreciate your vulnerability. But one of the one of the other things that you've talked about in uh, integration is, okay, it's one thing to give um, head knowledge or kind of nodding towards we need to be better with our generations. But it's another thing to actually be willing to give and to empower generations that are beneath age-wise, not quality-wise or even intelligence-wise, um, You the baton to lead. What are some of the struggles that leaders or, or that people that you've connected with or maybe yourself even had in that? Sure. I mean, I think one of the biggest struggles is they don't do it like I do. <laughs> and. Oh, yeah. it, you know, you a lot of times when you pass the baton, you want to pass it to somebody who you know is going to do it like you do, because the greatest fear is that they're going to drop the baton. And mm-hmm. I think what's happened, and I and I make this argument in the book, and, and hopefully in as respectful a way as possible, is um, is baby boomers have been running the world for the last 60 years. Baby boomers, in many ways, brought corporate structure to so many things that we do, um, because corporate was the dominant uh, industry as they came in it came into power. And so in our churches and our organizations, uh, baby boomers put cre- uh, created or implemented corporate structure and then set themselves at the top of that structure. Um, and for years have been running the world and and haven't been tired. Um, sure. And and now what's happening, They there, there was an opportunity to hand off to the generation behind them, Generation X, but they weren't quite tired yet. Um, and so a lot of folks refer to Generation X as the uh, the forgotten generation. I call them the bridge generation uh, for, for different reasons. Um, and then it came time to hand off to millennials. And they look at the millennials, baby boomers, and say, I don't recognize you. I don't, and and I certainly don't trust you to be able to handle the work that I've put in over the last several decades. And so it's been difficult a lot of times for baby boomers to hand off to a generation that Mm -hmm. they know doesn't have the same values, that um, that from their perspective doesn't put in the same level of work or commitment. Um, and, And now it's time to hand it off. And now it's okay. No, you got to pay your dues. Yeah, now it's really interesting that you bring that up. As someone in the generation X, forgot generation, I feel like sometimes I'm a I'm a person of two two worlds, <laughs> one foot in the millennials, one foot in the boomers. And even in the very conversation you had, I heard me identifying with both sides of that argument. Absolutely. And that, and that I think one of the things I'm hearing you say is that we can fall into this temptation to believe different equals wrong or different yes. equals ineffective. And different as a leader, I'm hearing you say that is not how you measure whether or not this generation behind you is going to be effective. It has to be something else behind it. Is that fair to say? It's 100 percent fair to say, because we are different. The The quicker we realize that different is not wrong. So uh, so in the introduction of the book, I say there's going to be things that you read about other generations. Then you'll ask yourself, yes, but is that a good thing? And the answer <laughs> is it's not a good thing or a bad thing, but it's a thing. Yeah, and it's, it's just a, thing a thing that thing. we need to continue, consider and honor and value because a thing is not going away. And it mm-hmm. doesn't make them bad. It just makes them different. And the, and, and the more you think about it as a bad thing, the more you'll dismiss the thing and then dismiss them. And, mm-hmm. and we don't want to do that. We can't do that and effectively lead across generations. Yeah, I think what's interesting is sometimes we don't recognize 
that we think something is wrong until it happens. It's like mm-hmm. expectations we don't realize we have until they're not met. Uh, my my daughter is now going to be 16 this mm-hmm. upcoming month. My son just turns actually 13th the day, 13 today that we're recording mm-hmm. this. And I watch them communicate sometimes. And I'm like, that's crazy. That, <laughs> that, that doesn't work, right? But it, it it's actually effective for them. It works and for I them. Realized, yeah. I didn't even know that bothered me. I didn't yeah. know that made me uncomfortable. And so I think whether it's our families or whether it's our churches or whether it's our nonprofit, uh, there's so many things. Communication is, is one of them, obviously. And if we allow different, and I hear you really well, to get in the way of passing the baton, we're not going to pass it. And we're going to not be living out the values that God has called us to live out. Now, mm-hmm. as we sort of wind down, I left a little time here at the end about this question, because I, I think it's interesting. Um, when we find ourselves dealing with a younger generation, how do you guide someone with immense talent but not yet the years of wisdom that knows exactly how to put that into play, yeah. if that makes sense. And you, you can't get wisdom without time, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that because you're old, you have wisdom. <laughs> and it doesn't mean because you're old, you have talent. So mm-hmm. how do you, especially with those younger up and coming leaders, their young twenties or even teenagers or whatever, made, full of talent, how do you help shepherd them to use both talent and the wisdom of the leaders around them to grow? You know, Brian, I think that um, if I could amend, not amend, but add to your statement, Mm -hmm. you can't get wisdom without time. You also can't get wisdom without experience. Mm. And a lot of times what happens is as long as we wait for for younger people to gain wisdom with time, but we don't also with that give them the experiences yeah. to help to, to, to mold that wisdom, they'll never get it. We'll get frustrated waiting for them. They'll get frustrated waiting for us. And then they're going to take their talents to South Beach like LeBron, okay? Yeah, no, so, no. That is such an excellent observation because assumptive in my statement was is they would get experience in the time, but that exactly. isn't always true. That isn't it's, always it's true. not it's not always true because a lot of times we'll um, we we're trying to train up uh, young CEOs, but we mm-hmm. don't let them in the boardroom until they pay their dues sweeping the floors. Well, if yeah. they have if they have talent and gift and information that that belongs in the boardroom, the only way they're going to gain the wisdom to manage and operate and, and exist in the boardroom is if we put them in the boardroom. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't that that you give them a, a CEO position, but it does mean that you give them supervised opportunities to learn, grow, use their gifts, make mistakes, um, but make mistakes that are uh, that are low cost mistakes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's 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 where we gain wisdom is giving people opportunities to fall, make mistakes, get up, learn those lessons um, and in a, in a place where they are connected with somebody with, that has the wisdom that yeah. we want them to learn. Yeah, Bobby, so good. Uh, the more I talk to you, I feel like we're going to have to have conversation number three sometime in the future, especially for those of us who are attempting to walk in the way that God wants us to walk. But just because, you know, we're where we are for the first time, you know, we're the first time trying to figure for a lot of us, what does it look like to pass the baton? What does it look like to do this? What does it look like to that? And, and thank you for writing this book. It again, is Gentigration, Connecting Leaders Across Generations. I highly encourage our listeners to grab it. You can get it anywhere books are sold. Typically, you can have it delivered. If you got Amazon Prime, not plugging them in two days to your house. I feel like 
they're going to do a health and welfare check at my house if someone doesn't deliver something every two days. I don't know about you. <laughs> That's how we're going to know. But it is Gentigration Connecting Leaders Across Generations. Um, if, if you want to talk to uh, Bobby, it's Dr. Bobby Manning. You can reach him social media at Dr. B Manning. He even has a website, drbmanning.com. You can catch him there, or you can find out more about uh, the Heights Church at gotoheights.org. Hey, Bobby, quick 30 seconds. Encourage someone out there that needs encouraged, could you? Sure. Hey, um, I, I know that the leadership journey is difficult and it's even more difficult um, when you are trying to do so across generations. Um, I want you to know that it's possible. I want you to know that it's not only possible, but it's strongly probable and it's going to uh, bless your organization for generations to come. If you reach across generational lines, um, we can learn those skills. We can find our core values, those intersections and as we do so, we'll strengthen our organizations for years to come. Bobby, thanks for that. And if you've been listening today and there's something you would like to tell us here at Good News for the City or WAVA, you can reach out to us to comment at WAVA.com. You know how you can get a hold of Bobby. I just told you. But if you want to have a conversation with me, you can call me right at Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn. I can be reached at 703-729-3900. That's 703-729-3900. But whether or not Uh, You ever pick up this book, which I encourage you to do, or whether you ever talk to Bobby or talk to me, our hope is, is that you've learned and grown today from our conversation and that you remember, as always, it's the gospel that makes a way. The The gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of good news for the city, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.